Well, good morning, everybody. And um, it's just so great for us all to be together in this special season, um, following after Christmas and being into the new year with um, Hope Central, Hope on the Rahi, and Hope Tikipanga all coming together. It's just lovely to be together. And good to see you all. And also one or two visitors, I notice, uh, peering through the... I see a pastor who's um, obviously escaped from his um, mission, and he's sitting in the pews here. So uh, you better check with me after uh, that you're all okay, okay? I won't say who you are, but anyway. Um, You know, in almost every culture across the globe, uh, weddings are perhaps the most happy and joyous occasion of all. There are times to celebrate. Um, There are times to celebrate the love between a husband and a wife, the bride and the groom. Um, They are times of expectation and hope. And I don't know about you, put your hand up if you've got somewhere in your home a wedding photograph on the wall. Put your hand up if you've got wedding photographs on the wall. There, There you are. Well, here's a snap of our wedding um, in 1980 um, in Dulwich um, in London. Um, And yes, I'm a Campbell. And so my father, who um, handed me a kilt on my 21st birthday, the kilt was flown out from, um, from New Zealand to England, and I wore it at our wedding. Um... Sue had been having her um, overseas experience, her OE, she'd been overseas for about five months, and I cashed my job in and went over and found her, Um, and within a month I proposed to her, and within five months after that we got married in Dulwich. Sue's parents, um, on your right there, they came over for the wedding, and one of the things that they did was uh, Mrs. Strawn, Sue's mum, cooked a wedding cake, and she bought it from New Zealand. And as she was going through the metal detector at um, Heathrow Airport, because it was wrapped in tin foil, everything went like this. So that was most embarrassing. Um, and uh, my parents weren't able to come, so my two grannies, because um, I was born in England, lots of relatives there, they represented um, my father and mother on that side of the family. Um, A very interesting thing happened, actually, we're talking about wine today, that my best man was actually the son of the managing director of Verve Clicquot. So for our wedding at the um, after-match function, I don't think you call it that, do you? The the wedding (laughs) breakfast, sorry. We had um, some Verve Clicquot champagne, so that was quite nice. And I note, um, just want to share with you that there's a couple in here who are getting married this week, Um, and um, uh, I won't say who they are because I don't want to embarrass them, but I can if you like. Vicky and Travis. (laughs) We had plans to have it at Ruakaka Beach, but we're kind of looking at the weather at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, more about that later. So today what we're doing is we're celebrating and remembering, um, considering the theme of one of Jesus' titles. And his title was, one of his titles is The Bridegroom. You know, we heard in Mark's reading today, uh, Jesus saying, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? He was referring to himself, of course, as the bridegroom, um, and so on and so forth. And we heard today the story of the wedding at Cana, 
um, where his disciples and Jesus were invited. It seems that um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, probably knew the family quite well. Um, there are reasons for saying that which I don't need to go into. But as we begin this new year, I thought this would be a very um, topical sermon to address about the bridegroom for a couple of reasons. The first reason is this. The Bible begins with a marriage between Adam and Eve, the union of Adam and Eve, and it ends with a marriage, the marriage between Christ and his church. And so that means that this relationship, the marriage relationship, is a very important relationship in God's eyes. And the second reason is the fact that Jesus' first miracle, first recorded miracle, was held at this wedding in Cana. And his response to his mother's question, when his mother came to him and said, the wine has run out, his response is a very important response because it foreshadows the greatest act of love that has ever been given to the world. More about that later. Now, to fully grasp the significance of this passage, you need to know a little bit about marriage in that culture compared to our culture. In our culture, we have engagement and then marriage. In their culture, they had betrothal, which was a legally binding event. And then sometime later, they would have the wedding ceremony. Whereas our engagement is not a legally binding occasion. So the betrothal, what the betrothal involved was the prospective husband going to the prospective bride's parents' house and declaring his love and his intention, his desire to marry their daughter. And at that event, he would give them a bridal gift. And the bridal gift could be money, it could be an animal, it could be um, some land in some cases. This was called the bride price. And actually in many cultures in the world today, they still practice lobola, which is bride price. The groom would then offer a cup of wine to his prospective bride. He would offer her a goblet or a glass or whatever they had in those days of wine. And if she was to drink it, that means she was accepting his offer. The groom would then leave and say, I'm coming back to get you later. Get ready. And he would go back to his father's village or his father's house and he would start building a room or even a house onto the father's building. And he would be building that house to get ready to bring his bride to that place. Meanwhile, the betrothed bride would spend her time preparing for the marriage by gathering personal belongings and household items. She would also adjust her relationships, change her relationships with her own parents, siblings, and friends, and she would start to get to know the husband's family. During this time, there was no sexual union. In fact, it was considered adulterous. 
And that is why when Mary was found to be pregnant, jo she was betrothed to Joseph. It was a legal, doc it was a legal um, situation that when she was found to be pregnant, pregnant um, Joseph sought to divorce her because she was an adulteress in his eyes and in the village's eyes. And that's why God came to Joseph in a dream and said, don't do this. This thing, this child that is born in you is of the Holy Spirit. And that's the bravery of Joseph. More about that later. Um, now to the actual wedding itself. Now this could have taken place months, even in some cases years later. Some girls were betrothed at the age of eight or nine or ten, and they might not get actually married for another four or five years. Um, what would happen is that when the groom was ready, he would come back to the bride, bride's home with an entourage, and they would play music, and they would sing, and they would take the bride from that village to the groom's house. And that would be a procession that would be right through, um, if it was from village to village, it would maybe last for kilometres. And then when she arrived, there would be a wedding ceremony. That would be taken by a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, um, um, a, a rabbi, would take the marriage. Um, and then the marriage ceremony would last for about a week, and during that time the marriage would be consummated. The bride and groom often would wear crowns during that week. They were considered kings and queens. And the wedding ceremony would last a long time. And the reason why it lasted a long time was because of the poverty, the drudgery of life in those days, in those village times, working on the land. This was a time to celebrate. It was the greatest celebration in Jewish um, uh, culture. Now, if the groom's parents ran out of food or wine, that would be an absolute disgrace. It would be a disgrace. In fact, I read somewhere that, in fact, a lawsuit could even be pitched against the groom's family if they ran out of wine or food. That's how important the ceremony was. So, here's the question. What has this got to do with Jesus as the bridegroom? I want to make three points, and the first one is this. In the Old Testament, God is often referred to as the husband of Israel. In Isaiah 54, 5, we read, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. In Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. And the relationship between Israel and God was such an important relationship in God's eyes. He was looking for a people that would honor him and love him and they could have fellowship together. Forever. And to illustrate the importance of this relationship, God even instructed one of his prophets, Hosea, to marry a prostitute 
as a symbol to the nation of Israel of how wayward they had become. And that prostitute was Goma. And Goma actually then, once she was married to Hosea, started to play up again. And God told Hosea, you take her back. That's how much I love Israel. I won't let Israel go. The second reason uh, um, Jesus as the bridegroom that I want to touch on today is I want to touch on the fact that the greatest of all Jesus' miracles, this first one, was done at this wedding. Notice that Jesus says to Mary, after Mary has says they have no wine, this is what he says. He says, woman, why do you concern me with this now? My time has not yet come. Now that might seem a rather cold statement, but what this was, Jesus was looking ahead to his passion, his crucifixion. And just as Jesus had left the Father's house of heaven to come to earth to seek a people, to seek a bride, so he was coming, as it were, to our house to make a proposal. And his death on the cross is the bride price that he paid for us. That is the bride price. The Bible says, greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. And we should come to understand that when we take the cup at communion, that was an event just before his crucifixion that speaks so much of Jesus being the groom. Remember the words of Matthew, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for you and many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it with you at the wedding celebration in my Father's kingdom. We need to remember what the bride price was and how much God loves us. I was just reading this morning uh, from Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how much more will he freely with him give us all things? Thirdly, I want to talk about wine. Now, I am a Presbyterian minister, and I'm not promoting New Zealand's The Vicar's Choice Merlot that you can buy in the... Um, those of you who are Anglicans will know exactly what I mean. We don't know why the wine ran out at the wedding. Presumably, there were more guests than were anticipated. Now, at a Jewish wedding, as I said before, wine was absolutely essential. Not so the guests could get drunk. That wasn't the point. The point is that wine is a symbol of exhilaration and joy. That's what it's a sign of. And actually, it would be a huge embarrassment if the wine ran out. 
And I think this shows us something about Jesus' compassion. Not only the prophetic statement he was making about the future, but also I think it was his compassion and his love. He did not want to see that groom and that family embarrassed in that culture. That's the way Jesus is. You know, Jesus turned 120 gallons of water, which were in purification pots, get that, into 605 bottles of the very best wine. That's 50 cases. I worked it out last night. That was a very generous gift to give to the groom. It was an incredibly generous gift. I'm sure they had more wine left over after it. But that's God. He's so generous. He's not stingy. He's a generous God. You know, wine is a symbol of joy. In Psalm 104, verse 15, it says, Wine gladdens the heart of man. And in Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come and buy it. Come and receive it. The invitation to come. In fact, rabbis had a saying in that culture, without wine, there's no joy. That was a rabbi's statement. And I think that really what Jesus, when Mary said they have no wine, what she was really saying is they have no joy. At that very special moment in the wedding celebration when it should be so joyous to celebrate, Mary was saying, they've got no joy, Jesus. You've got to do something about this. You know, true joy, the joy that transcends all the trimmings of this life, all the things that we seek after, all the things that try to make us happy, true joy is an inward thing. It's not dependent on the things that we do and the things that we have. Joy is an inner state of being which floods out from us, which is given by the Holy Spirit. That's the joy that we need. This miracle is more than just a record of a miracle that Jesus performed at a wedding. It's entirely symbolic about life. No matter who you are, no matter what wines of life one has chased after and trusted in and tasted, money, pleasure, intellectual pursuits, hobbies, relationships, cars, houses, sports, whatever it is, there will come a time when that will run out. And I've sat by, as others of you have sat by, the beds of people who are dying who have just lifeless, no joy. I've conversely been to people's homes who just cannot wait to see Jesus at the wedding celebration. They just can't wait. I went to Anne and David Rayburn's house and Anne said to me, just before she was dying, don't pray for me, Lord, I don't want to be healed, I just want to go and be with Jesus. She was so full of joy. I, I always remember that moment. And that's what Jesus offers by the Holy Spirit. So that's why Paul said this to the Ephesians, don't get drunk with wine, which just leads in the end to debauchery, 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So, Jesus is in effect saying this to you and to me. He's saying, I've chosen you. Will you let me be your security? Will you let me be your provider? Will you let me be your faithful companion? Will you let me be your lover? Will you let me be your joy giver? And when we respond, he gives us a guarantee of his love. He sends the Holy Spirit upon us. The joy of the Holy Spirit. I have to admit that for 16 years of my Christian life, my joy was very, very intermittent because my mind had not totally orientated towards the bridegroom. I was probably over-dedicated to my work. I was a workaholic. And it took a breakdown for me to realise what Christ was offering me. And that's when he filled me with the Spirit. And I think in a betrothal situation, just as the bride in that culture was reorientating her life towards the groom, that's what our lives become when we accept the betrothal offer. We have to orientate our lives towards the groom and to living for him. Then, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is actually a guarantee or a foretaste of the joy to come. It's a foretaste. It's, it's the real thing, but the joy of being with Jesus at his wedding celebration, we are the bride of Christ, it will be, what does Paul say? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him, but he's revealed it to us by his spirit. And I want to ask you today at the beginning of this new year, firstly, have you responded in your own life to the accept of Jesus saying to you, I love you, will you become part of my bride? Will you give your life to me as I've given, I'm giving my life for you? Have you responded to that call? You know, you can come to church for many years and just think it's just a religious activity, but it's a relationship. And I want to say to you today, if you have done that, but you kind of drifted away and drifted off and you're focused on other things, oh yeah, we'll get to church and we'll get to home group sometime and da 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 da. But have you fully dedicated your life to the groom? And the second thing is, have you received the fullness of the Spirit? Have you received, at this point in your life, the fullness of the joy of what he offers you? And that's a question. Jesus said, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But sometimes when we ask him, we have to make way in our life for that outpouring. 
And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to ask Jimmy and Cherie to come up and play a beautiful song. Um, I'd like you to play for us. And I'd like you to respond um, either where you are, or you might want to come and kneel down here and uh, just rededicate your life to Christ. Ask to be filled with the Spirit. Repent of anything that you need to repent of that has got in the way of your relationship with Christ and put him first. He's the bridegroom and he loves us. So Jimmy and Jerry are going to play this song. You might know it. If you want to quietly join in with it, you can. But if you, it's an opportunity to pray and to do business with God yourself just where you are. And likewise, if you want to come forward, just come forward. Thank you.